You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Nice to see you. Come on. So, friends, just very quickly, um, let me just give you, before we jump into our sermon today, just for a minute, just a quick uh, Ukraine update. I think it's important. So, you know, we support three groups of pastors uh, and three groups of churches um, across the country. That support is continuing. I keep getting messages from them. I, uh, so, uh, good morning again uh, to those online and to Vadim in Ukraine. Good morning to you. Vadim sent me a message this morning. Quoting last week's sermon at me uh, this morning, so so I know he's watching. Um, send me a message that we sent some money to them, and the way I understand it, and I don't know how they've done this, don't know how it's possible, but if you watch the news in Mariupol, there's really big fighting happening. They've managed to, with what we've given, buy some food, and somehow they've managed to get food into that city uh, to help some people, and so we're grateful for that. Um, also. And just to say to you that the other pastor that we support um, shared with me some sad news and some good news, and I didn't even know this. I got the photos this morning. No, last night I got the photos. I, so I didn't even have time to put them up to show you, but so you just kind of take my word for it. So, so the, last night I get the message from him. The money we've been giving to him, <laughs> I had no idea this is what they're doing. They're busy building two houses. I saw the foundations being poured. I'm like, what's happening here? And so what I understand is they, so many people have, uh, are without their homes, but they don't want to leave Ukraine. They, they need somewhere to stay. And so this church are building two cottages without giving. And isn't it wonderful? And we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the sermon as well, about how God multiplies the five loaves and the two fish. Anyway, that's the sermon. But that's what's happening. So two cottages are being built with, with our giving. So that's the good news. The sad news, and so I ask you to continue to pray, friends, is that you remember the same community I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, that there, uh, that there are two uh, 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 drivers with their buses that have been bringing children and people to them that they've been housing. It's really sad for me to say to you, but those two drivers were killed yesterday, as I understand it, and their vehicles destroyed. And so the church is praying uh, for them, and, and we, pray, we pray for them as well. And so that support continues. Um, and so we encourage you to keep giving because our giving is making a difference. And I really want to echo what Johan said, you know, about that um, one of our um, crossroaders coming saying, look, you know, I'm going to, whatever's g- given up until tonight for this last week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to match that. And then I want to issue a challenge to other people who have means and are entrepreneurs. Won't you take the baton from me and do the same for the next two, three weeks? Let's make a real difference. And so, and so that's happening. But then also what's happening is that we have connected with organizations here in the Netherlands. There are many Ukraine families who are here in the Netherlands. And so we've got wonderfully exciting opportunities for you to get involved and practically help. And so here's just the simple way that I can say to you to do that. Go onto our church center app. Go to um, groups uh, or serving or something. Um, I think it's groups, right? And then you'll see serving groups. 
and there you'll see um, how I can help Ukraine. There are so many opportunities. Go and register there. It will come to Hananya, and she will then give you all the detail. But for example, uh, I know we need people that can speak Ukrainian, people that can speak Russian. Uh, believe it or not, uh, people who can speak Hebrew. Uh, they need Hebrew speakers even because it helps, uh, because they, they're busy organizing education and school for Ukrainian children here. If you can speak these languages, sign up. We can use you. Um, what else? I mean, there's so many opportunities. Uh, clothes. Please don't give clothes. They've got warehouses full of clothes. But what they do need is people are saying, listen, I've got the morning free. I will help you come and sort the clothing. Sign up. Hananya will put you in contact with the right people. Go and help sort some clothing. There's something for everybody to be able to do. Hairdressers, on the 11th of April, I know that we need four people who are hairdressers to cut some hair. Maybe that's you. Sign up. There are so many ways. Accommodation. Maybe you can accommodate people. Sign up. We'll point you in the right direction. Um, Cooking meals. There's one hotel that is hosting a number of Ukrainian families. They need help cooking for them. Maybe that's you. There's so many ways. Go and look at the app. It's all there. Let's continue to show the world in a practical way the difference it makes being a follower of Jesus. This is what it means. The extent, the evidence of your faith is seen in how you love. That's what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. So, friends, we're busy. Are you ready? Are you, are, you, are, are you still with me? We're good? Right. We're busy with a sermon series. We're working our way as we prepare for Easter through the Gospel of Luke. I've prepared daily devotions for you. You can find them on our app. I encourage you to read them. The idea is that as a church community, we will read through the Gospel of Luke together. And particularly, we are focusing on Jesus, on those stories where Jesus breaks bread with people. And we come to discover, we, we come to discover, and that's why our theme is come to the table. The table being symbolic of the place where we are nurtured, where we are fed, where we find life. And we come to discover in these stories where Jesus breaks bread with people that those moments are so much more than just feeding the belly. Those are transforming and life-giving moments, forgiving moments, uh, moments of reconciliation and restoration and life and healing is found in those moments around food and breaking bread together. I'm just reminded, friends, so this week... Um, uh, my uh, Catherine and the kids and I, uh, we invited a Ukrainian family to join us for supper at our home this week. And, and uh, in fact, they are here today in church. I won't point them out. I don't want to embarrass them, but they're here today. And so isn't that so good? I just want to say to you, welcome, and, uh, and we love you, and uh, we pray for you. So they're here today. In fact, the mom's here, uh, but the son is with my daughter at the community center busy making the dessert for those who are going to have lunch at the community center today. Isn't that just amazing? And it's as we were having this meal again in this week, I came to just discover the truth of what we find in Luke's gospel about breaking bread together, gathering, coming to the table together with people is so much more than just feeding the belly because it became a moment for us this week of listening 
to their stories and, and just hearing the ordeal that they had been through and living in a bomb shelter for two weeks before managing to escape here. And it was a moment of just hearing. It was a moment of just, I think, family and friendship and connection and community. It became, for me anyway, and I hope for them, a life-giving moment. And so that's partly why we as a church community have decided we're going to eat together as a church for right up until Easter. So if you've not yet signed up for one of our Sunday meals straight after the second service at our um, community center, sign up. You must hurry. I think this week's already full. I think next week's already full. But there's still some space in the coming weeks. Sign up. Don't forget. Right, today, let's continue. Are you with me? Let's continue. Today, we'll look at yet another moment in Luke's gospel where Jesus broke bread, except this time he broke bread with 5,000 people. We're going to look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a well-known story, popular story. You know it. You've heard many sermons on it. Um, but I will hope to, to, to highlight perhaps a few different angles for you that maybe you've not thought of before as we read this story. It is a fascinating story. It is a very important story. It is, in fact, you, you may or may not know this, but it is, in fact, the only miracle, other than the resurrection of Jesus, of course, other than that, it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of 5,000. So clearly, it's an important story. And let's try and see today why it is in all the Gospels, why is it so important, and is there something in there for us today? Let's read the story together as we remind ourselves. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Let me read it for us. When the apostles returned, they reported to, Je to Jesus what they had done. Then he took uh, them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go. And don't you just love how the disciples just put it in such a way? We're just really thinking of the crowd, Jesus. Read it. Jesus, send the crowd away so that they can go to, to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Let them go so they can go and take care of themselves because we are in a remote place here, Jesus. Do you get it? Jesus replied, uh, no. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. Uh, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. I'm reading from a different translation, I think, to what you've got up there. He gave thanks, broke it. Then he gave, them, uh, to the then he gave it to the disciples and told them to distribute it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 
12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So we have this incredible story of this large crowd, very little resources, five loaves, two fish, the disciples saying, Jesus, the best thing is to send them away, let them go and look after themselves. It's getting late. They need to take care of themselves. You send them away. Jesus saying, no, we can't. We don't have anything. Well, give me what you've got. Well, this is all we've got. He said, give it to me. He blesses it, breaks it, and they distribute it, and everybody's fed. And in fact, there was more than enough. There was left over. What a beautiful story. Once again, as I said to you last week, Luke has a very beautiful way of writing. And the way he writes is quite intentional and deliberate because he wants to teach us so much. But here's my first thought as I read the story for us today. So what was happening was Jesus saying to his disciples, listen, let's just, it's been a busy time. Let's get away from the crowd. Let's have a day off. Let's take some time off. Let's go to Bethsaida um, and get away from the crowds. Let's get in a boat, sail across. Uh, to Bethsaida, uh, if you know that part of the world, if you've ever been there, the Sea of Galilee, it's on the northern top end of the lake, and let's go to Bethsaida and have a little rest there. The problem with that is that they would have followed and hugged the shoreline across from where they were over to Bethsaida to the other side, so would have hugged the shoreline so everybody could see this little boat. And could see where they were going and could figure out very quickly, ah, we know where they're headed, where they're going to Esseda. And so by the time they got there, there was already a large crowd, Luke tells us. As I read the story, I see the three E's so clearly in there, encounter, embrace, engage. So here's my first thought. Here's what I notice about the crowd. So they were here. Jesus was going there. I see in them the desire and the willingness to want to be where Jesus is. Even if it meant inconveniencing myself, because make no mistake, it was going to be an inconvenience. They had to get in, get themselves ready, hot, you know that part of the world, on foot, make their way to the next town. But I see in the crowd just this desire to want, if Jesus is going to be there, then that's where I want to be. I'm not going to stay here and then Jesus is over there. I see a clear desire and an intention. I know that the best thing for me, life for me, is to go where Jesus goes. Even if it's going to inconvenience me. Obedience is often inconvenient. My prayer for you and for me this year and beyond is that like that crowd when they saw Jesus moving from here to there, when they said to themselves, if he's there, there's no way I'm staying here. My prayer is, may God grow in you and me a desire, even if it's inconvenient, to be where Jesus is, to go where he goes. May that love for him grow. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. 
may we not be jaded in our faith, but may our love and our passion and just our heart grow for him, that if Jesus is in the boat and he's going there, well, then let me tell you, that's where I'm going to be. I want to move where Jesus goes. First little thought. Second thought, when we read this story, it's a familiar story, it's a well-known story, you all know this, and it can be read in so many ways, and you can teach probably about 50 different sermons on it, and they'll all be good, and they'll all be right, and they'll all have a message. So, for example, one of the ways that you can read the story is by seeing and recognizing the parallels that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, has in the Old Testament, and Old Testament stories. Immediately, I know what you're thinking about. You're thinking about 2 Kings chapter 4. That's what you were thinking, right? Yeah, I just say yes, Paul. Yeah. As you were thinking about 2 Kings 4. And here's why you were thinking about 2 Kings 4. Because it's a story of where Elisha was faced with a lot of people. And he had to feed them. There was 100 people and he only had 20 pieces of bread. And by some miracle, he managed to feed 100 people with 20 loaves of bread. And Luke is very clever in how he writes, and he writes in such a way that when you and I read the story of the feeding of 5,000, we are meant to remember that story. Ah, yes, it sounds familiar. I remember now, oh, I remember what happened to Elisha. This is similar, but except Jesus had to feed 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. What's the point? The point is that as we read the story Luke wants you to know that one greater than Elisha is in our midst. So that when you read about the stories of Jesus, you are meant to think, you're meant to think, yes, oh, this reminds me of Elisha, but man, this is so much better. He is greater than even Elisha. That's part of what Luke wants to do here, for us to recognize, hang on a minute, there's something special about this Jesus that we have never seen or encountered before in anyone, even our prophets like Elijah. Let's talk about Moses for a second. It's meant to think about, and so we can connect the parallels with Moses. You remember Moses uh, delivered the people out of slavery into towards the promised land. They go through the wilderness. Think how Luke is very clever in writing verse 12. He says, and they were in a deserted place. So when I read this, oh, hang on, this sounds like Moses and the people in the wilderness. What's the first thing they started to complain about and moan about? Food. <laughs> what are we going to eat? God gives them manna. You know what manna means? I've told you before. Manna means literally translated, what is this stuff? So for 40 years they were eating, what is this stuff? <laughs> right? And so God fed the people miraculously in the wilderness, and we meant to see that's what happened with Moses. But hang on a minute. Luke writes it in such a way that it's supposed to point us, but Jesus is bigger and better and greater than Elisha and Moses. Who is this Jesus then? What is he? How does he give us and feed us in a way that's different from Elisha? And Moses, and so John, and when John records this, in fact, makes mention, this is in John 6, when John records this, he makes mention of Moses. Let me read it for us. This is how John writes the story in the context of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, 
I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, you see now John talks about Moses, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven and whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And so Luke and the gospel, other gospel writers write the story in such a way so that when I read about the feeding of the 5,000, I'm meant to think of Elisha and Moses and what happened there, but I'm meant to recognize that Jesus is far greater than any of those prophets and Old Testament leaders and teachers. And in fact, then Jesus says, they ate, but they died. I'm the bread of life. And so it points, if we look at the story, to a deeper truth that Jesus feeds more than just the belly. That Jesus is the bread of life and he gives us life not just now, but eternal. And that Jesus is the one, this is what I meant to get when I read the story. That when Jesus feeds me, I am fed properly. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, Jesus heals and feeds and meets our true need and true hunger that we all have. So, so that's how the story can be read. And so if you were to preach a sermon, you can preach it along those lines and, you, and it would be a great sermon. Do you get what I'm, Right? I want to focus on one or two other things quickly. So here's another thought, an observation. A bit of background, first of all, to help you understand. So what had happened just before this? Jesus had sent out his disciples two by two. Do you remember that part of the Bible? He sent them out two by two to go and teach and preach and to heal the sick. Do you remember that? This is what happened just before the story. Now, we don't know for how long they were doing this. This is also the time where Jesus had just recently learned that his cousin John was arrested and was beheaded, killed. So here's the context. The disciples were busy preaching and doing ministry for who knows how long. Jesus doing the same. The sad news of John reached him. And so there was a time where Jesus and his disciples said, you know what? Let's just get away. Let's go to Bethsaida. Why there? Well, it was the hometown of Philip and Simon Peter. and uh, So it was... Let's go home, let's have a weekend off, in a sense. Let's have a day off. Have you ever felt like you need a day off, a weekend off? I think this is what the disciples were feeling like. We just, can, we, can you just give us a moment? So now they get there and there's this big crowd. You can imagine that they must have been immensely disappointed and unhappy and upset when this crowd comes. And so, again, Luke paints this contrast. It's, it's the way he writes. Simon the Pharisee, the sinner lady, contrast. The disciples of Jesus, a crowd, ugh. a crowd, Jesus, come, welcome. In fact, here's what it says. Uh, it says, um, in, in, in Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw the crowd, so the disciples see, land and they see the crowd and they go, uh. when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. Luke 9, 11 says, he welcomed them and spoke to them without, uh, about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Here's my thoughts. When you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, some of his most significant moments, life-giving moments, came to him as moments of interruption. Like this story. Let's get away. Let's have a day off. Let's just relax. Let's just take time away. Oh, and here's a crowd interrupting their day off. And look, the miracle that came out of that. Think about Jesus' life. So much of his life and ministry and significant moments came, from, came as moments of interruption. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. There in prayer with his disciples, the soldiers came and interrupted. Walking along, this lady with this person touching the hem of his garment. So much of Jesus' life and ministry came significantly as moments of interruptions. My question to you is, especially when you're on your day off. <laughs> How do you deal and cope with life's interruptions? Now, at this point, I can stop and preach a whole sermon about life's interruptions. I won't. just want to ask you the question, how do we deal with those moments that come to us in the day, in the week, that just turns our day upside down? I remember when this thing with Ukraine and, and, and helping these pastors and supporting them. So that came on my day off. That's not what I planned for my day. It was an interruption to my day. When those, those moments come where I think God wants to get our attention, those interruptions come, will I respond like the disciples? Ugh, crowd. Or Jesus? Come. And have compassion on them. How do you and I respond to life's interruptions? See, because the disciples learned that day, the day of being interrupted, they learned some valuable lessons about themselves, about their calling, and their place in the world. God speaks powerfully to us in the interruptions. Are those those disrupting moments, are they an annoyance to you? Or can you recognize God and God's will and God's voice in those moments that are unforeseen, unplanned? You didn't think this was going to happen. Is, is your heart in such a place that, that, that you can recognize God in that moment? I want to encourage you, a side thought, to pay attention to the interruptions. Powerful stuff happens when we are interrupted <laughs> and our plans are turned upside down. Okay. Here's what I want to say to us though. Here's the main thing. Last thought. And it's the last one, so you can, you can be happy. Late in the afternoon, verse 12, 13, 
the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. Will you say together with me out loud, Jesus' response to the crowd, to the hunger, to the need before him. Will you read with me what did Jesus say? Let's read it together. He replied, you give them something to eat. Come on, church. In, Duke's, in, 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 in John's account, Philip at this point speaks up, and, and when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, and Philip speaks up, and he says, well, we don't have anything. We've got very little. All we have is five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, well, that's fine. You give me what you've got. You give me what you've got. I'll make it work. And so the food multiplied, and they were all fed, and there was left over. I want to share something with you. Have you ever wondered, as I have, how that miracle took place? How did it happen? So did they, with the bread, did they break the bread, and every time they broke off a piece of bread, the bread just grew again, and it just didn't stop growing? How did that, I don't know if you ever wondered, thought about, how, well, how did that happen? right? Well, that's probably how it happened, and I'm perfectly okay for it to have happened that way. You know, I believe God is a God of miracles, and He performed the miraculous and can do things in a way that makes no sense to me at all, and I just do not understand. And so perhaps the bread, and I really believe that, that it was a miracle of God, perhaps just as He broke it, the bread just kept growing, and it was this beautiful thing. That's probably how it happened. But I've been reading some other scholars in trying to maybe make sense of this miracle and trying to explain, well, maybe how it could have happened. And, uh, and I want to share that with you, not because I'm saying that's how it happened. Don't email me. <laughs> I'm saying it to you because I believe that there's something in what they say that is true about how the kingdom of God works kingdom principles. And so some of these scholars, in trying to figure out how this happened, they say, okay, well, yes, sure, you know, the, the bread multiplied as an act of, of, of a miracle of Jesus, but maybe there was something else happening. Maybe it wasn't just a miracle of the physical bread, but maybe there was a miracle happening in the hearts of the people that day. And so here's the thinking. The thinking goes, well, hang on a minute. Have you ever met a Jewish mom? Right? If you have, you will know. There is no way they're sending you out the door without food. Right? If you've ever been Jewish mom, they feed you. And so, the th and, so, and so they say, so the thinking goes, well, maybe if you've got all these thousands of people, surely somebody must have planned ahead. Surely somebody must have thought, hang on a minute, you know, we're going to need to take some food with us. In other words, there must have been women there. Right? <laughs> Planning stuff. <laughs> and so the idea was that there must have been people that had food. Yes, there were people without food, of course. But there must have been people with food as well. But you know how we are psychologically. When I am in a big crowd of people and I've just got like half a piece of bread and like, you know, half a fish, I'm not going to share it. I mean, first of all, it's not going to feed very many. And then all that's going to happen is I'm going to have no food. So I keep what I have to myself. And so what some of these scholars are saying, perhaps, perhaps, part of the miracle was what was going on in people's hearts. Is that as Jesus was teaching, and as Jesus created 
from the big groups, smaller groups of community. And the example of the boy bringing what he had. A miracle of generosity happened in people's hearts. Okay, well, now I'm not just in a group of 5,000, but now I'm in a smaller group, and everybody in Jesus' teaching, okay, well, maybe, maybe I can share the half a loaf that my mom packed for me. And so what some of the thinking is, and here's what I like, because this is kingdom principle, is that in Jesus creating these smaller groups, in creating community, Christ-like community, so Christ-like community, godly community, nurtures and grows within us a spirit of generosity. And then generosity, in the context of community, results in the miraculous. Think about it. When I am on my own and I give my little bit, it doesn't achieve much. But when I'm in community and I bring my five loaves and two fish and you bring your five and you yours and we're in the context of community, we all bring what we have. All of a sudden, there's this multiplying effect and now the multitudes can be fed. Just a thought. A way to think about the miracle. But here's what I do know. Here's what I am teaching you and what I do believe as I read the story. We see in the story Jesus saying to his followers in the context of a great need before them, Jesus saying, will you see the need? Will you notice the world around you? Will you see what's going on? Can you see the need and the hurts of people around you? And then will you care enough? Will you love enough to give your five loaves and two fish? And when you do, I will bless it, I will anoint it, and with your five loaves and two fish, I will perform miracles. And many will have life when you give me what you've got. See, but when I'm on my own and I give what I've got, so let's talk about Ukraine. So you give your 50. Well, it's fine. But now you give your 50 and I give mine and we all give. All of a sudden, we can build two cottages. And we can feed hundreds and hundreds. I want to show you some photos quickly of what has happened, church, to your five loaves and two fish. Have a look. Let me show you some photos. That's what your five loaves and two fish in the context of community has done. God is performing a miracle and multiplying that. That's what your five loaves and two fish are doing. It's feeding many. And I think for me, that's what the story is about. Jesus saying, will you see the need? Will you care enough to like that little boy? Boy, bring the little that you have. And when we do it together as the people of God, Many will find life. And so we are living this miracle out in our giving right here, right now. We are living this miracle. 
And so this year, our theme is come to the table, is the invitation, because there you will be fed. But it's not just come to the table. The theme is, and the invitation is, come to the table with your five loaves and two fish. Because when you come to the table with your five loaves and your two fish, many, many will find life. And I think that was Luke's challenge. I'm done. I do want to read this as I close for us. This is in Isaiah, so you can, you can close your eyes. Randy, you guys can come up. This is in Isaiah 58, and this is what we read, and it's a response to this question. Here's the question. God, what do you want from me? That's the question that was asked, and here's the response. God, what do you want from me? What do you want from us? Listen to the response. Isaiah 58, 7 to 9. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Is it not to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will come quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. The Lord will answer your cry for help. And he will say to you then, here I am. Can we be the church that like that boy says, Jesus And we do that together, we see what happens. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.